Hey, everybody. This is the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about my very exciting news. And I keep using the word exciting because it is exciting. Variety has brought back Just for Variety, the legendary column that ran in the magazine for 75 years and became synonymous with the late Army Archard, who wrote Just for Variety for more than half a century before it ended in 2005. I am now writing the new Just for Variety, and I can't be more excited, more honored, more... My mind is blown that I get the chance to do this, and I'm just, again, I'm excited. I can't wait for everyone to start reading it. The first column was published in last week's issue, so you can read it in Variety, and you can also read it at Variety.com. So now, on with today's show. Today, it's Namdi Asamoah. The 39-year-old producer and actor is also a former NFL star who is considered one of the best players the Oakland Raiders has ever had. Since retiring seven years ago, he's been making a name for himself in Hollywood. His latest project is Sylvie's Love, a romantic drama in which he stars as a musician in 1950s Harlem who falls for a local record store owner's daughter whose husband is overseas fighting in the Korean War. Three years ago, he was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for his first major film role in Crown Heights. I caught up with Asimov from the Los Angeles area home he shares with his wife, Kerry Washington, and their two children. We'll be talking acting, producing, and how a football coach squashed his dreams of playing the piano coming up on today's Big Ticket. I'll be right back. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. It would be easy to say that Namdi Asamoah broke into Hollywood because he married Kerry Washington. How wrong that assumption would be. The former NFL star first began making a name for himself in the industry as an executive producer on The Beasts of No Nation in 2015. He landed his first major acting role in 2017's Crown Heights. He chooses his projects carefully. He produced The Banker earlier this year and now stars in and is a producer on Sylvie's Love. He and Tessa Thompson play lovers in 1950s Harlem who go their separate ways only to reunite decades later. Written and directed by Eugene Ash, Sylvie's Love also features Scandal star Asia Naomi King, Eva Longoria, Reggae Jean Page, and Ryan Michelle Bath. It will premiere on Amazon on December 25th. So let's talk about Sylvie's Love. Obviously, you're a producer. You're also an actor. How do you decide what you're just going to produce or what you're going to produce and be in. It just depends on the project. You know, it depends on yeah. the story. We got a, a, a story called um, The Banker that we did mm-hmm. at Apple. And, you know, just from even before the script, you know, we started in the beginning. Those two characters were so, you know, they were older and they were so specific that felt like, Anthony Mackie and Sam Jackson, we went after it and we got it, you know, um, but then in another world, you get a script like this where, you know, it's a, a little bit younger, a guy. Um, and, you know, he's, it just felt like something that I could tap into. So I decided to, you know, be a part of it in that way. So it just depends on what the project is, um, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be in it or not. Yeah. So tell us what is Sylvie's love? Tell us about the movie. Sylvie's Love is, 
I mean, I don't know. It's just a, it's a it's a fun love story, and it's a romantic yeah. story. These two kids they fall in love over a summer in 1957 in Harlem, and you know they break up after the summer, um, go their separate ways, start their own lives, um, and then five years later they bump into each other as one would in a romantic film <laughs> and they <laughs> just randomly bump into each other and, and and they realize that they still have feelings for each other after all this time but their lives have gone separate ways so they need to figure out um you know are they gonna make this happen or are they gonna continue on their lives so, you know about following your your passion your it's a re it's it's just a very like classic love story that's right and that was the goal that was the goal to make it a classic love story you know we shot on back lots in in los angeles in hollywood Mm -hmm. you know so it very much has that feel the music and the you know shooting on film and all that you know that was the goal because at one point I thought maybe the two of you would like start singing and go around one of those poles. <laughs> at one point I really thought you were going to do singing in the rain. <laughs> yeah, no, we didn't put that. We didn't put that part in. It was discussed, but we. Because <laughs> there's the scene where you're leaving her apartment, you know, her apartment built, her townhouse or brownstone, yeah. and you're kind of running in the street. I'm like, oh my god, he's going to wrap his hand around a pole. <laughs> he's just going to start singing. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But was, that's uh, good, though. It harks back to that. Yeah, it wasn't quite La La Land in that aspect, but it was, it's, it was discussed. <laughs> um, tell me about your chemistry with Tessa. Did you do a chemistry read? Did you know right away? Because you guys, you know, this is a love story. You guys fall in love fast. It is not a slow-moving train. Yeah, there was no... Uh, there was no chemistry read. I mean, we, there was rehearsal, there was a rehearsal period, but no, it was very, it was very easy. I mean, we just, we, we dove into the characters and, you know, it, 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 it wasn't a, it wasn't a struggle to find chemistry at all. I think it was, it it was, a, a lot of times in romantic films, what you'll hear is it's all about the casting. You know, if you get the casting wrong, then the, the, the film falls away, you know, and I already knew Tessa, um, you know, we had done different events together and different things like that. And we were friends. And so it was it was something that we both knew we could pull off. So you play a saxophone player. So were you playing the sax in the movie? I was playing the sax. Yeah, you? I learned the saxophone. I, I studied, I took lessons for just about over a year. Um, wow. It was a, it, in, in, in totality, it was a year and a half, but actually doing the work, it was, you know, a few months worth of work. Yeah. So that was you, you, that was you doing it. Can you hear the, what's I hear, going is on it your gardener or someone's yeah, racing yeah. a car? <laughs> I can, I can have that. Uh, Calm down a little bit. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so I took the lessons. I, I took the wow. lessons. I really learned how to to play it. I I I watched a lot of documentaries on jazz. Ken Burns has this great documentary on jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, I just followed a lot of Coltrane. Watched a lot of Coltrane on YouTube and and Sonny Rollins, and just really had to figure out not just how to play the instrument, but also how to carry myself you know because it was a 
it's a different time period than today. You know, I, the, if you if you stand someone up that's playing a saxophone today or someone that was playing it in the late 50s, they'll look like two completely different people. You know, so mm-hmm. I just had to really understand that aspect of it, which was fun. It was very fun for me. So right now, if I handed you a saxophone, you could like do a little jam session. You know what's weird? Um, I could, but it wouldn't be as good as it was. <laughs> you know, it's like what, no matter what, if you're doing a project, you'll learn and you'll get into, you can play, you know, I'm watching this show called um, Queen's Gambit, uh, which is really, show. which is just really great. And so I was yeah. thinking about, I was like, oh, what if I was playing, this would be so great because I'd learn how to play chess because I don't know how to play chess. And then I had this other thought of, well, once we finish shooting, I'd forget how to play chess because then it's on to the next thing to learn. And that's how it was for me with the saxophone. I I put it down once we were done, um, but I still have it. It's right here. We have to take a short break right now, but when we return, Osama reveals how a football coach shamed him at just age 13 to stop playing the piano. We'll be right back. What do explorers, an army officer, and a Minnesota insurance salesman have in common? They all wanted to be the first to reach the North Pole, but only one of them made it. I'm Kat Long, science editor at Mental Floss and host of the new podcast, The Quest for the North Pole, which dives into the centuries-long race to explore the Arctic, find the Northwest Passage, and conquer the top of the world. With a cast of daring adventurers and some pretty determined amateurs, the race to the pole reveals the human desire to solve mysteries of geography and the soul. We'll look at the important Arctic expeditions that filled the blank spaces on the map and recognize how indigenous people made them successful. We'll examine what pushed explorers to venture ever farther into the unknown and uncharted and how the climate crisis is changing the Arctic today. Listen to The Quest for the North Pole every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Namdi Asamoah. Did you know you were musical? I took, uh, when I was a kid, I learned, I I played the clarinet, played the flute barely, played the guitar a little bit. As I was older, I started to play, as I got older, I started to play the guitar, but I played the piano when I was a kid for about seven years. So it was a big, I mean, that I, I stopped playing the piano because we had football practice. I was 13 years old and I was late. I was about 45 minutes late one day. This is a true story. Uh-huh. 45 minutes late one day because I had a piano recital. So I got to practice and the coach is looking at me and he's like, you know, what are you doing? You're 45 minutes late. You know, yeah, I had a piano recital. I'm sorry. I had to. And he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. He brought the whole team up. Oh, no. Mondi was late because he had a piano recite. Everybody started laughing. And that was the last time I played the piano. And it's, it's a true story. I never took lessons again. And, and then I started You were shamed. Well, I you know, the next. Anyway, but Your coach shamed you out of piano <laughs> lessons. He shamed me terribly. That it is was, uh... messed up. I'll never forget it. And I stopped playing the piano. And that was it. Oh, man. Look what we do well, to now, our kids, you know. It's, please it's don't even talk to me about I was <laughs> I was a kid who went to dancing school. My father literally to the day he died was like, I'll never forgive them. Yeah, that's right. 
for him to have to go over and be a Mets fan, it was like, yeah. <laughs> it was a huge thing. We were a Mets family. Yeah. But yeah, no, I did, I did dancing school and I convinced my father to take dancing lessons. He's like, okay. And I did it one year and it's about to have like the recital in front of everyone. And, and the, I grew up in Queens and yeah. I was like, I can't let people know I'm going to dancing school. So I quit right before no. the recital. Oh yeah. Before the recital? Right, right before the recital. Because everyone would see me. Yeah, you did the whole year. Mm -hmm. And I would sneak into dancing school. My friends, my girlfriends at the time who were taking uh, dance class with me would look for the t little bullies out there when I could clear and go. It's so, sure, it's so sure, messed up. Sure. Listen, it, it reminds <laughs> me of um, Billy Elliot. Yeah. Oh, I cried Billy during Billy Elliot. That, that, that yeah. movie destroyed me. The show destroyed me. Yeah. Um, so let's you do saxophone playing. Let's talk about Eva Longoria singing. I didn't know she was a singer. She's a singer and she's amazing. And she wanted to sing so much more like she <laughs> and there was no fear. She went straight into, oh, yeah, yeah, I can go into the studio. When, when should I go into the studio? Oh, do you need me to do any more tracks or do you, I, she loved it and dancing this singing <laughs> and dancing. Like we should put out the full, you know, obviously you have to do some editing to get it. But if we put out the full concert that she put on, you'd be blown away. She was great. Did you have any idea? Did you have any idea that she had that? Uh, I didn't. And so when I sent her the script and asked her if she'd do it, uh, you know, I was, I thought that that might, that she'd say no about. And that was the thing that made her say yes. Oh, like, wow. To be able to sing and to be able to dance on screen and have that forever. You know, that was, it was great. She's the best. Um, yeah. So is directing next for you? Producing, acting, when are you going to direct? I, you know what? People keep asking me that, and I, I do not, I just don't feel a, um, listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> I didn't think that I would ever act. I didn't think that I would ever produce, you know, so I just, I, I'm going to just, I'm just not going to say anything about it. I'm not. If never, I say that I'm never going to direct, then I'll be directing in three months. <laughs> you, just, you know what? Just say never say never. Never say never. You just yeah. don't know. Totally leave it open. When are you and Kerry going to work together? Come on. It has to happen, right? We Well, we work together every day. We work together <laughs> every day. So that's, you know, listen, you're waiting for something that we've been doing for the last several years, Mark. I don't, can't help you. Um, but professionally, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's easier to keep separate. You, did you say it's easier? It's easier to keep it separate. You got your yeah, work. She's possibly. Got I mean, I, I don't know the other way, so I don't really, I can't really compare it to anything, but it's, it, it is pretty easy keeping it separate. Yeah. And let's talk about your foundation doing all the work in Nigeria. Wow, Obviously, Mark, you know, well, well done, Mark. Well, listen, you go way back. Yeah. But, you know, listen, in the end, for all of us, I think it's about giving back. Hopefully. It's about being of, it's about being of service. That's, that's what I believe. You hopefully, know, and you, that's, you, hopefully that's the goal is being, a, yeah, I, I started this foundation. Um, I mean, even the stuff that, that we do in the U.S. of taking kids on on college tours every year and just having COVID this year and these 
kids not being, I mean, cause they're coming from the inner city and now they're not mm -hmm. able to go tour college campuses. They don't have the resources all the time. So this year was definitely difficult um, with that. So we've, we've tried to adjust as, as best as possible, bring some colleges mm -hmm. to them over Zoom. Um, and yeah, the work with in Nigeria continues uh, at all times, you know, just trying to help orphans and widows out there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I, I, no one ever asked me about the foundation. This is very, this is why you're who you are, Mark. This is- No, it's- let, So tell me about an example where you realized it worked, that you were able to help that one kid go to college and- Oh, I mean, no, we had a, a, oh, so many stories. I mean, I'll just give you one is that we've had a homeless student, um, who never thought about college, but actually was doing very well in school um, mm. didn't have either of their parents. Um, and uh, we, we started to work with them specifically to try to get them into college. We toured specific campuses that we thought they might like. They had no, this person had no idea what college was like. Um, mm. Ended up going to UCLA and wow it was one of the schools that we toured. You know, they get into UCLA, you know, get scholarships, they, you know, and they're moving on and they come back and, and they speak at our events. You know, this happens all the time. And that particular student will speak at an event and say, I never thought I was gonna go to UCLA. I toured UCLA with this foundation and fell in love with it. So, but, but those stories are so, there's so many because the kids, they're in tough neighborhoods that they would have mm -hmm. never thought they would ever go to college, you know? So it's about going to those neighborhoods and, and finding them and, and showing them that they could have a future in this. So it's been great. Why did you decide that that should be the focus for you? I, I, was, I was in my rookie year, I believe, in the NFL, and I took these these kids from Oakland, inner city Oakland, we went fishing because we were trying to figure out something to do that, that, you know, you wouldn't do in the inner city, really. You right. know? Um, <laughs> so we took them fishing, drove about six hours north of Oakland. Why we went that far, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but that's where we went. We went fly fishing. We had a great time and I came back and I remember dropping those kids off um, at their youth center and they just all burst into tears because they they knew that they were going back to, mm -hmm. you know, their lives and it wasn't gonna be the three day fun fishing sort of, you know, they're all, they're coming from difficult homes. And I think at that point I felt like I was leaving them behind a little bit. So there was some guilt so I just put, I just started to think of what's something that I can do that can be ongoing um, and, and I can stay in kids' lives, you know, throughout college. And so then that came to mind and then I just started doing it. So when are you going to run for office? Say it again. When are you going to run for office? I couldn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I've, been, I've, I've heard it. I have no interest. Um, and I've heard it since I was in high school. I have absolutely really? no interest. Why since high school? What were you doing in high school besides quitting piano lessons? I don't know. <laughs> it's just always come up. 
no matter where I go, like that question, oh, that exact question, doesn't matter where I am, it comes up and I'm, but I, I, no, that's not, that's not in my, not in my cards. But remember, what did you say? Acting wasn't in your cards, producing <laughs> wasn't in your cards. And now you just said it's not in your cards and the midterms are coming up. Never. <laughs> never? No, I'm going to say never to that. But okay. Yeah. Do you want to get more involved with politics though? No, I don't. Mm -hmm. Not more involved. I just want to, yeah. <laughs> I just want to do my part. That's about it. Um, so let's go back to New York for a second. You are just about to finish a soldier's play and you guys yeah. got shut down. Tell me about the moment that you found out that you couldn't do the last few um, performances. Well, Jerry O'Connell is like negative Nancy. You know, every day he's coming up to us. You know, we finish the show, a tough show. We're walking back to our dressing rooms and he says, guys, I, I, I think we got one show left. I mean, he said that for like, <laughs> three weeks because of COVID. <laughs> and uh, finally, we were we were getting ready for a show and Cuomo, Governor Cuomo came on television, if you're watching, and he said, we're shutting down Broadway. We had two shows left or something. Wow. And I texted Jerry and I said, look what you did. You know, it's <laughs> like it finally, and we were done at that point. There was no, there was no, we couldn't even, go back to say hi to the guys. Like you couldn't say bye, you couldn't, you know, mm -hmm. the, I think the next day we, we were able to grab our stuff from our dressing rooms and that was it. Um, and then everything just went dark, mm -hmm. it was crazy. It was crazy, the, the city shut down and then I came back to LA, but yeah. We almost finished our run. We like to say that we finished the run, um, yeah. you know, and it's good, you know, we've got, we've been nominated for a Tony. Um, so, you know, we, we did, we did our thing. So what, what's your objective as a producer? What are the projects that you want to, you know, bring forth in the world? Cause there's a lot of platforms out there. You could do so much. That's right. I, it's really the stories that we haven't heard, which is, which is not very easy. I mean, the stories get recycled a lot. But you know there are lenses that they haven't that we haven't seen them in. Um, for instance, mm -hmm. Sylvie's love. We've seen the period piece love story. There's no sort of violence or anything going on in the outside world. But that was never with black characters, so this was filling that void. Um, and the list goes on and on on the projects that we've been able to get made. I think that's the goal now is to continue doing that, put out projects that otherwise would not have gotten made or or you have not seen, you know, in the canon of projects before mm -hmm. it, you know, just trying to, I think if you're able to carve out that space, take those risks and, 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 and show people, especially if it's a, a project with majority black cast or black directors, um, show people that these movies do work. You know, mm -hmm. these projects do work. There, There is an audience for it. Um, you can trust it. Uh, I think that's how you're able to stand out. So I think those, you know, that's what we've been trying to do, stand out by filling the void in some way. Has, has um, the reception to your projects changed in the last few years? Obviously, there's so much more talk about inclusivity and diversity. Have you found more doors opening or more people willing to say, hey, I think that could work where it wasn't like that before? 
Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's kind of, you know, you get people saying, oh, you guys have been ahead of the curve. Wow. It's, it's just like, what? <laughs> you know, we were making the movies that we wanted to see. You guys are catching up. And it's like, but there is, there is that sort of, that feeling of people really start coming around to certain projects and certain ideas and really feeling like it's possible. And, you know, I want to see this and I'm excited to see it. So it's really helped. It's, it's, it's helped us. And I'm glad that we have been able to get off the ground, you know, in the mm. last four years and putting out projects that have been successful. Um, you know, I think that'll only help us moving forward. Namdi, it was always good seeing you, even if it's on a screen. This is great. You're the best. I love the bow ties. That was Namdi Asamoa. Coming up next week on The Big Ticket, Asamoa's Sylvie's Love co-star, Reggae Jean Page. He'll soon be seen in Shonda Rhimes' new lavish period soapy drama, Bridgerton, on Netflix. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And make sure to get all your Hollywood news at Variety.com. I'll see you next time. And please, please keep wearing your masks.